Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide. Good morning and welcome to Talk Back Gardening at the bright and early time of eight in the morning. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, gardeners, and particularly gardeners that like growing their own plants, propagating their own particular plants for their own particular garden. And this morning, the focus is on wow plants. You go to the garden centre, you fall in love with the plant, look at the price. (laughs) (laughs) And go, whoops. (laughs) I, I want this one and that one and that one. Well, I've done that. I've bought one of each and I've taken them home and I've uh, learned how to propagate them. But I thought, why don't we get somebody who really knows what they're talking about? Matt Coulter is the uh, uh, the curator for the Adelaide Botanic Gardens and he'll be in the studio very soon talking about uh, growing your own, propagating your own plants, particularly wow plants. And I've been focusing, because I've got a little courtyard and it's a shady courtyard and most of the wow plants are sunny plants, I've been trying to find wow plants which will perform in the shade. And so maybe in a few minutes' time, Deb, you and I might just go through that list very shortly, very briefly, uh, just what are the top performers that grow in the shade. And then Matt Coulter, when he comes in later on, (laughs) we're going to help grow those particular uh, wow plants and how you can actually grow them yourself. Well, I have had a little bit of an insight into the John Lamb technique, (laughs) so I'm very interested in you sharing that because um, fascinating innovation that you had moving from a large garden to a courtyard garden and losing your beautiful greenhouses. And there are many people like myself who just love growing plants, can't resist it. There's a new plant, you take a snip, take it home, will it grow, won't it, and you learn a lot. And so uh, this morning's program is particularly for you, uh, that if you have got a question that you would like to ask Matt, that's the important thing. He's got tremendous knowledge, and so it's not the basic how to do it, it's, it's it's the masterclass that we'll focus on later in the program. You like apples? I love apples. I think there's nothing better than biting into a nice new season apple, fresh, crisp and and, and fresh. And uh, they'll be launched here in Adelaide uh, this week. And the research and development manager for Lenswood Apples, and they're the uh, distributor of most of the apples that are sold here in South Australia. Anyway, Paul James will be our guest. He'll take a look at these apples that are being distributed, but more importantly, the problem of biennial bearing. Why is it that you get a heavy crop one year and a light next year, not just for apples, pears, and even the stone fruits? All to do with hormones. Mm, Looking forward to hearing about that too. But right now we want your calls. Call in. John is here and waiting to help you with your garden issues. 1300 222 891. Call in and have a chat because uh, John likes to get to the bottom of the actual problems. Sometimes it's a matter of elimination, isn't it, John? (laughs) Asking questions to try and get to the nub of the issue. Yes, it's very important to try and get as accurate as you possibly can. And... uh, If you get uh, just an idea, it might be this, but it could be that, and a little bit of extra information. So when you're coming in with your uh, information for Stephen, our producer, wonderful producer, just tell him a little bit of of the detail, just how big it is, what it is, and then I can continue the discussion and drill down and say, hey, I think this is the problem. Exactly. So call now, 1300 222 891. Of course, we love your comments on the text line as well. That is 0467 922 891. One later in the program, I have a couple of February Gardening Australia magazines to give away. Just remember that John's advice is of a general nature and shouldn't be taken as personal professional advice. One more time, the number one three hundred triple two eight nine one. This is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide. Our first caller this morning is Sue in Bridgewater. Now, Sue, I hope you're well this morning, but your Daphne isn't. No, no, my 15-year-old Daphne uh, leaves her sagging, uh, all curled up and summer crispy. Has she come to the end of her life? Dear Daphne, what can we do? Is it in the container or in the ground, Sue? It's in the ground, facing the morning sun, sheltered by the camellias and the wisteria has been beautiful for 15 years, but now she's decided that perhaps enough is enough. If you look at the leaves, are they a little bit wrinkled or sort of... Um... No, no, they just curled up and, 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 and sagging and going brown. 
Are uh, they going brown on the edges or around the sides or all, right, all around? Or, all around, they're crispy. Yeah, right. Crispy. <laughs> Tell me about how you water your garden, Sue. I water. I water it when I water the camellias during the winter and a couple of times during the summer. Yes, um, there is something going on in the soil, and from your description, it's the fact that. I think they're getting overwatered at a particular time, unless you're over-fertilising. You're not putting on too much uh, particularly granular fertiliser? I could have put on a little bit too much uh, camellia fertiliser when I fertilised the camellias. How long ago was that? Oh, probably three months. Yes. Um, okay, and I think that could well be it. Um, what you're describing is classic wet feet. All oh, right. Um, Daphne's are lovely plants, beautiful when they're in, uh, providing their perfume in that roundabout July period. There's nothing better than going into a garden and somebody's got a Daphne plant there. But um, their Achilles heel are wet feet, and that's why often people grow them at the side of a, de of a deciduous tree because during the growing season um, it sucks up all the moisture and that leaves the Daphne out there with relatively dry feet. Um, so either you've been over watering it or else it could be that you've fertilized it um, and the soil was a little bit dry and that sort of burnt off the roots and then uh, it could be yes. when you do water it you, you have over watered it so we, 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 did, we did have a lot of water up here in the, in the winter Yes, that's right. And, yes. it, it, so that, and if it got poor drainage, uh, that would aggravate the problem. So I right. think we can sort of say, simply because of your description and drilling down, that it, it's a wet feet problem. Uh, how you manage it, I think, is up to you to say, uh, do we need gypsum to sort of, uh, because it's uh, clay soil, or do we need to uh, start all over again? And if you're going to start all over again, put it on a little raised mound so that it's a little bit higher than the rest of the garden. That just yeah, all right, yep. Okay, righto. Well, best of luck there, Sue. Okay, lovely. Thank you very much. Thanks, bye Sue, bye. for the call. Appreciate it. One three hundred triple two eight nine one is the Talkback Gardening line. Jenny in Achunga has called it. Jenny, you've got a few problems with your pumpkin plants. Welcome. Hello. Yes, I've got two very healthy zucchinis, which are yeah producing a lot of zucchinis. But these two um, pumpkin plants. They have putting it, you know, growing, but they're not flowering at all. Nothing no at all. No male or female flowers. Right, oh, did you plant them from seeds or seedlings? Seedlings. Right, and you improved the soil. Presumably, you put lots of organic matter and lots of fertilizer. Maybe I didn't put as enough as some people might, as much as some people okay, might, well. should I say? <laughs> what, yeah, what I was hoping you would say that you put on lots of organic matter and lots of fertilizer. Um, okay, the reason, that might be the reason. Uh, it could be. Uh, well, uh, it's. What you're saying, you're getting plants that are growing and not flowering. That says mm. that they're putting on too much growth because of the nutrition. Um, or is it in full sun or not? Uh, yes, they, they get the... They get plenty of sun. Plenty of sun? Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, um, invariably, when you've got uh, good growing conditions, they want to grow. And But usually a, a pumpkin in particular is fairly yeah. good in saying, right, oh, well, we've got enough growth here. And, yeah. and the plants have got inbuilt uh, uh, deciders and, and the hormones within the plant change from growth to providing flowers. Uh, I think the best you can do, how many runners have you got on, on the plants? Well, actually, one hasn't put run, uh, yeah, runners out so much, but the other one perhaps might be in a little bit more sun than the other. Um, and it's got two runners going now. Um, oh. Well, it, we're getting late in the season for pumpkins. Yeah. What I'd be suggesting if you were ringing up, I say, six weeks ago, is to take the tips out, and I'd still do that. Um, okay. Take the tips out, and that makes it work a little bit harder. Take some of the hormone growth hormones out of the plant, but for them to flower, to set, and then to produce a worthwhile pumpkin, uh, yep. and it's only got, well, it's only got, it's still got um, ten to twelve weeks of growing season. So, uh, okay. uh, it would be worthwhile taking the tips out. Uh, no fertilizer, except I would be probably uh, uh, 
uh, maybe using a little bit of sulfate or potash. But that, unless you've got flowers, the sulfate or potash is not going to do you much good. Um, okay. No, I think, uh, uh, and they need absolutely full sun. They need to be sort okay. of baked if if you're going to get any value out of them. And right. um, from what you're saying, the growing conditions may not be ideal. Mm. Yeah. Could be, yeah. I haven't tried pumpkins in these this position before, so that could be the reason. I mean, mm. it gets plenty of morning sun, and well, one in particular gets put a sun most of the day. Yeah. All right. Well. Yeah, yeah, that's important. And many people sort of think, oh, there's a pumpkin, stick them out the back and they can look after themselves. And uh, they are, they've got a shallow root system and they can dry out very, very quickly. So you go from where we've had some fairly wet conditions and then the ground dries out and you think, oh, well, the ground's still wet. Mm-hmm. And you, if it's got a surface root system and it dries out, and it's now probably three weeks since we've had any rain at all, and you'll be surprised at how quickly the top five centimetres dries out, whereas there's still plenty of moisture at depth. Absolutely. Thanks, Jenny, for that. Susie is in Port Adelaide with um, some blistering grapevine leaves. Hi, Susie. Hi, how you going? John, morning, Dev. What's the um, problem there? I've got blisters on my grapevine leaves. Underneath the leaves is a really dark brown. Uh, <clears throat> um, yeah, and uh, it's all over the leaves. It's all over the grapevine. Uh, so the, it, it's blisters on the leaves. If you look at the leaves, they're actually malformed because of these little blisters, or is there something on the leaf that's causing your problem? Um, they're malformed because of the blisters. Righto. And have they been there most of the season, growing season? Yes. Righto. Yes. Yeah, I think the problem there is a, a blister mite, grapevine blister mite. And uh, they get in and they actually start while uh, the buds are, are not yet open. Uh, it's too late to do anything now. They don't cause much damage. They just don't look very nice, mm. particularly if you've got an ornamental uh, vine. But uh, I think it's important maybe uh, when the leaves are dropping, you put them into the waste bin rather than uh, trying to... Uh, um, make use of them as a mulch but probably the most important thing is uh, at bud burst you spray with sulfur spray the buds with sulfur um, and maybe uh, uh, I think if you could do that that uh, stops the mites from getting going early in the season and that will probably be about the only thing you can do to control that particular problem. Thank you, Susie. Jeannie is in Elizabeth South. Uh, you want to know about planting genie hello oh hi um look what i was ringing about was just an observation that i've made over about the last decade um that our mains water is actually getting warmer in summer yes um and i'm finding um you know watering prior to the 40 degree day sometimes i'm usually up very early in the morning pre-dawn to put the sprinklers on i have the old three-arm um overhead droplet sprinklers they're great they cool the garden beautifully but i am noticing that the water is almost bath temperature now is that actually affecting the plants too i'm wondering if that's um, you know, you spoke a while back about perhaps the fluoride in the mains is affecting plants. I'm wondering know. too if the temperature is affecting don't them. Um, don't uh, sort of put the fluoride onto me. I don't talk about fluoride. Oh, sorry, sorry, water. sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, that's again, the amount of fluoride in, in the water has absolutely no effect on plants. Um, now, you say that you get out and water in the morning, and even in the morning, even if it was warm water and you're watering then, it's not going to be of any consequence if you're getting out in the middle of the day when the plants are hot and it's a hot day and with one of those sprinklers you might love those sprinklers I think they're disastrous because what they do is throw little droplets of air uh, water up into the air and probably you're losing maybe 20 or 30 percent of the water Mm. that you're buying and paying for is evaporating, doesn't get down into the ground, it doesn't water the plants. The other thing is because it, it, it waters unevenly, you'll find that the uh, water falls onto a plant and if it's a, a sensitive plant, it falls onto the leaf the, and by the time uh, the w- next lot of water comes around, if it evaporates and, and uh, uh, you find this 
wet, dry, wet, dry can cause problems too. So I would suggest you just look at investing in a different kind of a sprinkler. But in terms of your basic question of you're throwing water onto a plant and so long as it's wet, uh, the plant will say thank you very much and the fact that the water might be warm is, and putting it onto the plants is, is of no problem. But try not to water in the middle of the day. Thanks, Jeannie. Interesting point to raise. We'll be speaking to Dorothy, David and Susan next. We're talking Talkback Gardening. John Lamb is here to answer your questions. one 891 Matt Coulter, propagator, curator at the Botanic Gardens, will be joining us in a few minutes' time. Really looking forward to his masterclass in propagation. Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide. We are Talkback Gardening. Dorothy is in the Air Peninsula at Port Neal. Good morning, Dorothy. Good morning. Now, your mandinas are going a bit stiff. It yes, sounds a bit worrying. Yeah, lots of sticks in them. I've had some I've had in about oh, 13, 14 years, and others of it were there about 10 years. And um, uh, they're watered regularly uh, on a dripper system uh, twice a week. And um, all of a sudden, I find that the leaves are sort of um, just disappearing, and then there are these sticks up. I have cut the, the dried sticks off a couple of them, but they don't seem to. Um, recover and they just die. Yes, the only thing I could do to because I'd like to keep them in the ground or in the containers. No, in the ground. In the ground, and they've been there for quite some time. So I think it's probably time they were lifted and uh, uh, probably uh, the soil improved and then put them back. You wouldn't do it at the moment. I'd probably be doing that very late winter. It would be a good time to do that. Um, what happens is uh, the plants use up all the nutrients in the area around it it doesn't have much of a root system and so it can't go exploring for nutrients it's used up its nutrients and it's not producing leaves and all you're getting is the stems Uh, they're interesting they grow from little rhizomes and you have a a central little stem and then there might be two or three little stems and on the stems at the end of the stems you get the the lovely leaves Uh, and I think probably I mean you could try and uh, get it going again with extra fertiliser and things like that. But I think uh, it would be better after so much time is to dig them up late winter, improve the soil by putting in lots of organic matter and a slow-release fertiliser, putting them back in there. And I think you might find that that will solve the problem. The soil isn't very good here. It takes some, yes, perhaps that's a lot of the problem. You've got a lot of sandy, sandy soil? Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, pay particular attention to uh, improving the soil. Uh, so it may, for each plant, uh, have a little square metre and, and improve that square metre with, with soil to a depth of at least, say, 20 centimetres. I think that's most important. Thank you very much. Thanks for calling in, Dorothy. And now let's head off to David in Solomontown near Port Pirie. Now, David, you've got a... a Pretty good problem, really. Too much fruit. Hello. Yes, it, yeah, it's actually um, weighing down the tree, on an orange tree. Sorry, you, you, you've got uh, yeah. uh, orange trees. Yeah. You've got too many. Yeah, <laughs> too, many, too, many, too much fruit. On it. It's actually weighing it down. What's, what stage of maturity are the fruits? Uh, they're actually pretty big. Right, so they're navel oranges, I would presume. Yeah, I think so. I don't yeah, know. They'd um, mature probably in uh, March, April, May, June. All right. Okay. Um, it's a nice, healthy tree. You're very healthy, yes. I'll know. make sure of that. The important thing is, um, apart from the fruit, is it still putting on lots of new growth? Yes, there's even... I've got to get rid of some suckers. Right. And, and I've noticed that. And um, I think the ants are up to no good because I spotted some... Um, ants on there. Right, uh, right. Uh, well, the ants will be moving scale around, and uh, yeah. then you end up with sooty mould if you don't sort of control the the scale. Um, I think you'll probably find that uh, if the tree is growing and it's in good health and putting on new growth, it it'll mature those fruit. But it will the if you don't uh, if you have too much fruit there, you'll get this biennial bearing problem we're going to talk about later on, and it'll take a lot of energy out of the tree. Um, so, it, I would 
maybe thin the fruit a little bit if you've got lots of fruit there and, and I mean you're going to have plenty to eat anyway uh, just try and reduce the crop uh, maybe by 10 or 15 percent probably the most important thing is make sure that you don't go short on the nutrition uh, Ian Tolley is suggesting that you put fertilizer on on a monthly basis a little oh yeah yeah, yeah. a little a lot oh that's well, what he says isn't it yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that's right yes uh, I think uh, Work out how much fertiliser you would put on over a 12-month period and then divide it up. But I would be putting on, uh, say, uh, a, a good organic fertiliser, the pellets or something like that. I'd be putting on probably two or three cupfuls, maybe a little bit more if it's a big, healthy tree. But the important thing is yep. keep the nutrition up to the tree and uh, thin the fruits a little bit. And I think uh, you should have a plenty of fruit yep. next year. And with the ants and the scale, what do I do? Do I just go... Uh, do I, um, white oil, all you need is, uh, sorry, a pest oil. Uh, there are yep. a, a number of pest oils. And if you w- wait for a cool uh, week, I think probably after the hot weather we're getting, uh, it's going to cool yep. down considerably. Uh, and yep, so yep. when we've got, uh, say, uh, four or five days of relatively mild weather, spray with one of the pest oils, and that should control the scale and the ants... Just keep an eye on the ants and and try and reduce their populations as well. Yep, I can do that. No worries. Right. Oh, thank you very much and have a beautiful day. Great. You have a beautiful day too, David. Thanks very much for calling in. Susan is in Tea Tree Gully with a stone fruit question. Now, what's happening to your peaches, Susan? Oh, good morning. Um, yeah, so I've got a white peach tree, which is doing really well, and it's got lots of nice rosy... They're not ready yet. They're almost ready. Um, they're just falling off, but there's a bug that's getting in through where the stem goes into the fruit, and it's like a little black, tiny little black thing. It looks like an ant, but it's not an ant, and it just runs, comes out the hole, and inside around the stone, it's just all like brown and soggy. Right, uh, it's absolutely destroying. (laughs) These little bugs that you're talking about, do they look like tiny little beetles? Uh, no, they're flat. They're black. They're like little flat, and they just run out the hole, like really flat little tiny things, yeah, which is just, yeah, destroying the stone, which in um, a minute goes, like the fruit's all funny inside around the stone. These little bugs, though, uh, you say they're flat. They're black. They're black, did you say, or black. flat? Yeah, black black and flat. Black and they're flat, like righto. Can you little see little legs on them? Yeah, I think they have legs, yes. Yeah, I think you've just got uh, a a little beetle called Carpophilus. It's a little dried fruit beetle. Um, And have you got lots of windfalls on the ground? Yes, it's falling off because they're not yeah. holding. And okay. then when I pick them up, they look fine. And then when I open them up, right. like you see all the... It's called a dried fruit beetle. But uh, uh, they are nu- a big nuisance because they... Eat, they get on the windfalls, and the windfalls start to break down. They've got fungal diseases on them, and these little bugs fly into the tree. They take the fungal disease on their legs with them, and uh, then mm-hmm. if there's any little cracks or things like that on the your fruit in the tree, they get uh, the same fungus, and they break down. So what yeah, you need so to do... so they're going in that where that stem goes into the stone. Yeah, right. Well, you've got to reduce the population. So most important... Pick up all your windfalls. Hygiene is what you've got to concentrate on there, Susan. Get rid of all the little uh, windfalls. And I think uh, if you've got the fruit starting to mature on the tree, it's too late to spray uh, with an insecticide. There's nothing that's really sort of suitable. So I think just pick up your windfalls and probably the, the problem will disappear. And can you also maybe pick them just that little bit? early, you know, because they're red, like they've got that lovely peachy colour. I find the ones that I picked, like I took one off, it just, like, you came off and there's nothing in that hole, like where the... Right, so they're getting, they're getting, it sounds like the the peaches are splitting open, are they? Well, no, it's just where the stem is. 
just the stem in. Yeah, okay, there's a hole there. Righto, okay. Well, uh, um, there's not much you can do about that. That's a growing problem, should have been amended, and it's usually associated with uneven watering, too much water uh, at harvest time, and the the, uh, uh, fruits just uh, start to split open, particularly around that stem end, and that's where we're talking about those little beetles. They will come in, they will get into the uh, uh, stem end where there's a little hole, take the fungus in there, and then the fruit breaks down. So you've got to get rid of your little Carpophilus beetles, Susan. Good luck with that, Susan. (laughs) Try and get rid of them for the future. Well, in a few moments, we're going to catch up with the wonderful Matt Coulter. He's back in the studio to join us to talk about... All things propagation today, it's a masterclass in wow plants. And, John, we know that that is your mission, uh, colourful plants for the courtyard, because over the last few years you're wanting to discover easy-to-grow plants that will provide colour but in a shady courtyard. Are you making any progress? Yes, I think I've worked out that these, uh, the following would be probably some of the best bets. They really are brilliant performers. And I won't go into too much detail uh, for each of these because I want to go through in more detail of how to grow them and which ones to pick uh, later on in a later program. But probably top of the list at the moment would have to be coleus. Coleus are just soft stem big large leaves, colourful leaves don't have much in the way of flowers Uh, don't worry about the flowers but coleus are so easy to grow and uh, they will tolerate full shade uh, they will take, uh, providing the light is good, uh, and they'll also take a little bit of sunlight. Ideally, morning sun and uh, afternoon shade is brilliant. So put coleus, and there are so many uh, different lovely colours coming through. There's a, a plant which is closely related to coleus called perilla. Perilla. Not many garden centres sell that one, and it's a pity because it is tough, incredibly tough. When the coleus die down because it's cold and wet in the middle of winter, the perilla, perilla keeps, keeps going. going. <laughs> <laughs> and there's another leafy one, thing called irisine. And people have got irisine and say, oh, not irisine. But it's just leaves, big red leaves, very bold, so easy to grow. But I use it as an indicator plant because if you've got your plants growing in a container, and you're not too sure do they need watering or not, irisine is the first to to flag or sag. And it also recovers. It's so forgiving. You can have it almost sort of drooping completely, water it, and it recovers within about half an hour. So it's the canary in the coal mine. That's right. So coleus, uh, perillas, irisine, begonias. We're going to talk about begonias in a lot of detail in two or three weeks' time when the Begonia Society are putting on their show. But the tuberous begonias are absolutely brilliant. Uh, and there's a new hybrid uh, uh, begonia uh, out there at the moment, mega begonias, and Matt, I think, will talk about that when we talk to him very, very shortly. There's an interesting and unusual, not unusual, but it's not as common, a plant called Plectranthus. Plectranthus is just green leaves most of the year, but it flowers, and it flowers at a time when many Uh, Very few other things are flowering. It's in that late autumn, early winter period, and it comes out with these beautiful spires of flowers, and the hybridists are having fun, and there's a lot of uh, variations on Elvis, (laughs) 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 Um, the the names of it. But we'll talk a lot more about Plectranthus because I think there's a big value for home gardeners, and probably uh, uh, there's another one, Impatience. Most people are familiar with Impatience, the garden, the bedding plants, uh, Impatience, but there's now a, a new... Uh, perennial one and again if we have time we'll talk to uh, Matt about it but they're the kind of plants are what I call wow plants and uh, we'll get Matt focusing on these kind of plants and how do you actually strike a begonia or an impatient uh, and see if we can't uh, have them growing in your garden. Fantastic and we'll hear about John Lamb's own little method of having a greenhouse when you haven't got room for one in your courtyard garden thank you to Debbie on the text line 0467922891 one saying interesting to hear um uh, david i think it was say so many oranges as when mine was small lost 250 off one tree and don't know why they had so many fell off still have some on the other debbie hope you get to enjoy some of that fruit matt coulter head propagator extraordinaire from the adelaide botanic gardens is up next talk back gardening with john lamb and deb tribe on abc radio adelaide we are Talk Back Gardening this morning and we're very lucky to have in the studio the one and only Matt Coulter, 
head propagator from the Botanic Gardens. John, you and Matt have got a lot to talk about this morning. Welcome to Talk Back Gardening once again, Matt Coulter. Thanks, John. Morning to you and Deb. The issue, is the season early or late? It seems to be early. Like I'm seeing really um, early signs of autumn in the garden, um, particularly because I work up at Mount Lofty mostly, and um, the mornings up there are actually quite cool. And it's quite, yeah, it's, uh, if you had to say it's going to be early or late, it's got that real feeling of it might be early. Some of the really keen gardeners say this is probably one of the best growing seasons for a long time. Definitely, it's perfect for plants. You know that the weather we're having in like the, the 28 to 32 degrees with a little bit of rain earlier on it's just been fantastic it's um plants are booming they're just loving it there's not too many really hot days I and mean, when we do get a hot day it's just like one day and it's just perfect and plants are just really loving it at the moment well let's now take a look at growing your own how to propagate them you've been into the studio a couple of times now running little mini master classes and I suppose we start with uh, the cutting itself uh, uh, just which are the cuttings you would take at the moment just very very briefly and how long and what would you do what would you put them into so generally the the, the tip cutting is the ideal cutting to use and because the temperature is actually quite good at the moment that that would be the the one I'm going so the first sort of 10 centimeters of, of the growth but to, do, to use that material, you have to actually control the environment really well. But if you can control the environment really well and have good propagation media and good, good weather, you, the, the results can be quite remarkable. So some of those plants you were mentioning earlier are all relatively easy to propagate, and you should be able to get roots on those things in about three to four weeks' time. All right, so you've got your little tip cutting, and if you put it down within 15 minutes, it's starting to sag, and it's useless. So you've got to be able to keep the tip nice and fresh, Yes. and uh, in the meantime, you're working towards getting little roots at the bottom end of the cutting so it can look after itself. So what do we do with the cutting? You've taken the cutting, uh, the tip cutting is probably the easiest and quickest. What do you put it into? Yeah, so you're totally right about the cutting, John. So as soon as you cut that plant, the cutting off the plant, that's a dead bit of material. So everything you're trying to do is to um, uh, relieve all the stress possible. So if it's a hot day, then you might want to miss that cutting just to keep it turgid. So it's really important to do all these things, but to do it early in the morning rather than the middle of the day is really quite important as well. So when we talk about the propagation media, there's two things we're trying to manage there. One's the aeration, so air in the soil, and the other thing is the water holding ability in that media. So with propagation media, it's much more important to have good air to water holding when we're having potted plants it's the reverse we want things that actually hold water because it's a cutting it doesn't actually have any roots on it we want really good levels of oxygen and air in that media for those roots to form so that media has got to have air in it it's got to also hold the moisture the old-fashioned way was to use coarse washed sand and i think we've gone past that yeah i mean coarse washed sand is, is is quite achievable to use but generally in the the nursery industry we're using the product perlite because it's it's um, every time you buy some pillow, it's always exactly the same, um, gives the same result. So it's in the media strictly for aeration; it doesn't hold really any moisture at all. So we use a very high ratio of perlite, and the other material we use is the coir peat, which is actually the opposite to the perlite; actually holds moisture. So we usually use an eighty percent perlite to twenty percent coir. But we're in a nursery situation where we're actually watering plants regularly. So if you're in a home situation where you may not be watering plants regularly, I actually say start with a 50-50 ratio, and then once you start getting better at it, you can you can raise that perlite. Um, level, but I think you've actually tried the 80% perlite and getting good results. So I think it's a really good to actually to get that air in the soil because we're dealing with a plant that doesn't have any roots on it. So we want good aeration, good oxygen in the media, and a little bit of water holding ability so those roots can form. And then that once those roots form, then it can actually start using the water to actually the grow right. the plant. Yes, yes, and, and, and uh, agreed on that eighty percent. I've gone up to ninety percent on hot days, yes. simply because uh, there are certain plants. If you wait for a cool day, uh, uh, a day you don't get them. You know, there's all these days in thirty degrees uh, or more, and I'm thinking, oh, do I take cuttings or not? Mm-hmm. And I've decided uh, because okay, you take your cuttings, but you've got to keep on watering them. And I've got a 
misting system and probably a little bit uh, over over waters. Mm-hmm. So uh, my way around to that is to have a, a 90% perlite and only 10% uh, of the material uh, cocoa peat. So the, the, the perlite, though, what's its role? Is it like little sort of little uh, uh, white uh, marble size, uh, tiny little marbles? Is its role is to hang on to the moisture or is it just to provide air? No, it's totally there for the air, John. The amount of moisture that it holds is really insignificant. So it's all about aeration. So that is perfect what you're saying about raising the perlite um, level, particularly in summer, because if you're going to be watering your plants more regularly, you want that water to move away. And one thing I always say, it's always easy to add water, but if you get the water in there, it's almost impossible to get rid of it. So I've even gone up to 100% on some plants. It's quite amazing. So, And perlite is actually used in the hydroponics industry just as a media that actually holds the plant up. So, yeah, it's specifically for aeration only. So if you're getting a situation where your plants are drying out too much, then you may want to lower the perlite. But if you find that your, your, your meat is actually holding too much water, that's when you actually raise it. And that's the total benefit of actually making your own propagation mix. You can actually vary it to what you want to do. Exactly, yes. Okay, so there's the cutting. It's in its little containers. Um, and okay, so I use a little small container. It's only probably uh, uh, probably four centimetres, uh, uh, probably say uh, two centimetres by two centimetres, or three centimetres by three centimetres. And I put an individual cutting in an individual plant. Now, I think previously you were saying that maybe you might be to your advantage by putting in uh, having a larger container and putting in numerous cuttings in the one container why depends what you want to achieve john so like in the nursery situation where space is critical by doing things in in like a community pot where you put multiple plants in is um much more advantageous because you're using the the um space better but in a home situation the benefit of actually doing what you're saying is putting one cutting per pot is actually great as well because you're not getting any disturbance when you go to pot them on. Yes. If you have a community pot, you actually do get some um, a root stress. So it all depends on how many cuttings you want to make. If you only want to make five cuttings, then, yeah, do five separate cuttings. If you want to make a 1,000 cuttings, maybe you look at what you want to, to achieve. So it's all coming down to what you're trying to do, what you're trying to achieve, whether you just want a couple of cuttings or, or if you want hundreds. Could you just comment on the importance of increasing humidity around the leaves and that perhaps comes from your multiple stems so humidity control is critical john that's the the, the main thing you're going to get from success or failure particularly when we talk about those tip cuttings if because they're very uh, soft and they're going to lose water very quickly so in a low humid environment that will fail so but what you're trying to do is create humidity so the the leaf actually doesn't lose water and it stays uh, turgid. Um, so the more water it loses, the more stress it's going to go under. So the humidity control, to me, is the number one factor from success or failure. You can have a bad cutting or you can have a bad media, but if you don't have the right environment, you're doomed to fail. Okay. Can I, at this stage, show you what... Yes, <laughs> what John's I, own method. <laughs> yes, he's brought what it I've in. Invented. I mean, uh, you, you, you grow... You, your cuttings and your plants by the hundreds, probably by the thousands at the end mm-hmm. of the year. Uh, whereas uh, uh, you buy a, a wow plant and you say, that's a lovely coleus, and, and maybe there are maybe four or five stems on it, and the three strongest stems, you say, it'd be nice to take tip mm-hmm. cuttings from those, and so I'll have three plants. And so um, you can go and buy clear plastic containers they're going to sort of go off the market class because they're plastic but Glasses, they're going to go like go, picnic cups yeah, pic, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a, a small picnic cup okay so uh, you start off with a, just a clear small cut and i i take a little snip out the bottom perfect so yeah. there's drainage because you, you're watering mm-hmm. often and what you don't want is a build-up of water underneath it so okay there's a hole in there for drainage and then i put my little small container with the cutting uh, inside that and so it sits in there comfortably. But then you buy the largest size picnic cup you possibly can, Mm -hmm. and it's clear plastic, and you just pop it over the top of the one. So you've got one, the one on the bottom is up the right Mm -hmm. way, but the big double-sized one is upside down on top of the small one, and you've got your perfect little small greenhouse. Definitely. It's great for environmental control because there's... All the, the humidity staying in yeah. that cup that's turned upside down. So basically you can describe that as a mini greenhouse yes. or a mini glasshouse. So that is yeah, perfect. Yes, too. Did, 
Did two, you, two, two picnic cups. Do you put any holes in the top cup, the large oh, cup yeah, that okay, goes so over the top? A, a, just, a, yeah, yeah, you get, just get the scissors and you just sort of go snip, take a little piece out of the bottom, and then I've done the same at the top. There's just uh, yep. one at the top. Um, and, and, and it's ideal because depending on the weather, if you want to, you can just take the lid off and you've got a, a misting, a, a, yep. a, a little bottle, you know, with the little misting sort of trigger uh, thing. So you just squirt them down yep. with a little bit of mist, put the lid back yep. on, and it's as, as happy as Larry. You must find that very, very successful for you, John, by that system. It's just, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's one of the, <laughs> the, the many little things. We haven't got time to do the other ones. No, but, but that's a great system. And I'll try great. and get a photograph mm. of you, John, and I'll put that on social media if at all possible. Matt Coulter is our special guest. He's head propagator at the Adelaide Botanic Gardens. We're going to come back with more of the tips he has in today's masterclass in just a moment. This is Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide. We're lucky enough to have in the studio this morning Matt Coulter, head propagator from the Adelaide Botanic Gardens. Matt, we've talked about getting the root system going and we're putting the cuttings, little tip cuttings, we're putting them into a mixture of perlite and the perlite is there just purely to get lots of air Mm -hmm. in the system and then you've got your cocoa peat just to hold on to just enough of the moisture. But okay, from there we need to sort of say what we've got to do is get that little cutting to grow roots and that's going to take probably two or three weeks, isn't it? Or probably longer. Yeah, sort of anything that would strike quickly, it's usually the three to four week sort of time frame. So, and <clears throat> depends on the plant. Other plants will take a lot longer, but the plants you've mentioned, your wow plants earlier, they, they'd be about a three to four week um, time frame. And what we're trying to do, once something is actually rooted in that really humid environment, then we want to get it out because that humid environment's all about developing in roots and we don't want to leave it in there for a long time. So once it's got roots, we could take that, like that lid, you could take that lid off and start to harden it up a little bit and then eventually you could start to pot it up and, and eventually harden it off. So the whole system of the humidity control is all about getting that root system to, to be made and to develop, but we don't want to keep it in that system for a long time. So the, uh, you're, you're, I think a lot of people, they like to see <coughs> the roots form and, and uh, lots of roots and, and uh, it's uh, maybe, I think, a lot of people and i have learned not to do this because i used to be one of them yep. have lots of roots there and at that stage uh, you uh, if you've got multiple uh, cuttings but the the roots are all tangled up uh, so you're suggesting err on the other side as soon as you see the roots are, are, for, uh, are forming is the time to move them rather than wait till the roots to grow definitely john the earlier you can put those roots pot those plants up and they've got a root system the better so you have to think the, the bigger the root system the more stress the plant's going to go under so a lot of people like to have a huge root system before they'll pot it on my my theory is the sooner you can get that potted on and growing by itself in its own potting mix and in its own environment the better and it's the same with um with seed germination people like to to wait till the seed gets huge before they actually pot it on and then they prick it out and then it collapses just because of that stress so it's all about the ratio between the root system and and the vegetative growth so the, the quicker you can pot that plant on the better it will be don't wait to get a huge root system all right so there's the plant it's a little cutting it, it, it's starting to develop roots in its container and while it's in its original little container uh, you <coughs> the, the the mix it's in keeps it moist enough but it needs to grow and that is dependent on the leaves. Now you've got just a few little leaves at the top and it's what is needed, you mentioned for the roots, it's a combination of air and moisture getting that right. What about the leaves? Could you talk about what's the essential element that keeps it alive and gets it growing? So we're trying to keep that cutting alive as long as possible before the the roots start to form. Once the roots start to form, then the plant can utilise the water and the nutrition through the root system. But until that happens, we need to keep that leaf alive, and that's why the humidity is so important. (laughs) That word, humidity. Tell us about humidity. Yeah, so there's water in the leaf. So the softer the material, the more water it's going to lose through stress. So 
things that are very very soft where you need to almost cre- create something like 80 to 90 percent humidity the harder the leaf we can go t- to lower but you never really want to drop that humidity below 70 percent. i always work from 70 to 90 percent humidity depending on the, the plant so in low humidity the plant will lose a lot of water and then it'll die because it hasn't develop that root system so the first couple of days is critical so if that humidity is really bad then the plant will go under stress and will just drop all the leaves or will quite considerably so it's all about humidity it's it's probably the most important uh, process in cuttings that people don't get right and particularly that humidity in that first period which is why that, that yes. little two little containers mm. uh, uh, one little container yep. on top of the other uh, the other i mean people don't have the sophisticated equipment uh, that you've got um and so probably an alternative might be the uh, plastic, clear plastic storage boxes. Yes. Now, you can buy those from your hardware store, you know, a little 20-litre one. It's big enough to put in mm-hmm. maybe uh, half a dozen uh, uh, cuttings, de- or depending on what size cuttings you've got. But, so uh, h- how effective are they? Yeah, they're perfect, John. I've seen those used many times, and they work really well. So you can put a... You know, put the lid on the, to keep the humidity, and then once the plants start to root, you can uh, gradually start to remove the lid, so not remove it totally. So, the the one thing you don't want to go is to jump that shock too too strong. So if you just gradually do it, so like you with your, your your lid is great, and then with the boxes with the lid. So rather than taking the the, the uh, lid off totally, you might take it off a quarter to let that air exchange start to happening, and then another week or two time, you might take that lid off half. So th- those um, boxes work perfectly. Okay, and of course the, the location we're talking about cuttings and uh, whether they're individual cuttings or in, in a plastic box, just uh, the importance of location and. Yeah, so you don't want to put them out in the full sun because, like, you put them out in the full sun, more stress. Uh, so you want to put them in a sort of a semi-shaded sort of position because all you're trying to do is create those roots. And when those plants get roots, then you can gradually start putting them into the sun. And one thing people do is get their cuttings and putting them out in the full sun thinking that the plant needs light. But because it doesn't have a root system, it's sort of, it can't actually mm. utilise it. So definitely you don't want to put it in too of a sunnier position to start. Sort of like a semi-shade that has a bit of protection. And then as the plants start to develop a root, then gradually move them into the sun. Well, your second suggestion on what to plant in would definitely help Malcolm at Kenton Valley that said those plastic cups are hard to come by these days. But people are asking, what should you make cuttings from now? What kind of plants can mm. you use? Yes, well, let's get into some of those wow plants. Uh, let's start with uh, coleus. Um, how would you go about striking? Uh, say, you, you bought yourself a lovely wild, uh, uh, and uh, uh, there's many different varieties mm-hmm. out there, but uh, you, you've got yourself a lovely plant. Um, just describe which pieces of the plant and how would you get it growing? So basically you wanted something about the first 10 centimetres of, of the um, plant, so you prune prune. the little bit longer than you're going to utilize and ideally you want sort of uh, two to four leaves kept and if you don't have at least two then it's two is the minimum amount of leaves you want but four is preferable if you can and then where you cut the base you try to cut it where the leaf node is because that's an area of high hormone activity so um so if you can cut it where the where there's a node where you've actually removed the leaves so you remove the lower leaves you keep four leaves you reduce those leaves because like coleus as you know has quite uh, large fleshy leaves so you reduce those leaves by about half and that will actually stop the stress as well and then what we do we dip it into a a hormone gel you don't need to use hormone gel you can use things like honey or you could the other thing you can people have done in the past is use willow water so you can get some willow branches and put in water and dip it into that um so basically everything that we do is we we describe as building blocks so if you do one thing it's not always going to see the results so it's like we said about the humidity we're trying to create high humidity we're cutting it at the node we're reducing leaves so they're all like building blocks and each one of these will help the success so it's not to say if you don't do one you're going to get this result or if you do this you're going to get the results so it's quite variable what you can get and then you'll plant that um, stem into your media and then definitely like your system you could put a cup over whatever you're trying to do um, i've used glass bottles in the past which are really good so you can have a community pot and you can get those like pickling bottles which work really well and you can put that over the whole pot and then as the plants start to um 
start to root, you can uh, raise that pot up by putting a few little bamboo sticks on it to let the air exchange happening. But the most important thing is once those plants have got roots, get them out of that high humidity and to start hardening them off. I mentioned coleus. Which would be other sort of four or five which would be very easy for people to get going at the moment? So all those plants you've mentioned, Plectranthus is really, really straightforward. Plectranthus, yes. Yep. Impatience is really straightforward. Even things like salvias this time of year really, really um, quite, can be quite successful. And we're in a really good um, period of weather at the moment, so it's actually an excellent time to be uh, propagating. So what we're trying to do is propagate uh, plants that will get roots before it starts to get too cold. So if we wait another month, we've actually lost that that window of it happening. So if you do it now, you'll get roots on plants before the cold sets in and the plant can grow. So it's an excellent time at the moment to, yes, to propagate. I record a lot of uh, dates of when I do things and, and pot them on and things like that. And certainly for coleus and those soft stem mm-hmm. plants, late January and or February, they'll root in probably three weeks and yep. you can pot them up. Uh, and uh, they're almost ready to go. And, and uh, I can either sort of have them on display yep. uh, for winter mm-hmm. or some of them I, I try and not have them to grow too quickly and just hold them in small pots. And so they come out in springtime and yes. I get them going then. It's a perfect timing, isn't it, John? Like if you do them too early, your plant gets too big. Mm-hmm. If you do them too late, you've missed the window. So it's actually a great window at the moment to be actually propagating. Just a quickie on, on nutrition. Okay, so there it is. A, it's a cutting. It's in the perlite and, and mm-hmm. cocoa peat and it's starting to develop roots and you think oh beauty i'll give it some fertilizer good idea or not and once it got roots definitely because the the propagation media that we develop has no plant nutrition at all so the only carbohydrates a plant has is what is in the leaf so once it starts to actually develop a root then you can actually um you can start adding things like slow release fertilizer or you can start liquid feeding it so liquid liquid feed is quite good because it's actually it's in the water so as a plant um draws water um out of the media it's drawing the nutrition as well but you don't want to overdo it as well but just a little bit regularly what about a foliar fertilizer foliar feeds okay i mean it's much more efficient to actually to get the plant to use the root system i mean the foliar feeds good but yeah the the root system is the is is the powerhouse of the plant i must stop talking propagating because i discovered you (laughs) grow sweet peas and and we were talking about when's the best time and you sort of said well certainly st patrick's day is not the best time why (laughs) i traditionally i I, for many years i did the st patrick's day or late late march sort of sowing and because i generally grow them in pots um what i found you you get this huge um vegetative frame which is very susceptible then to wind damage before they actually flower so in talking with um, the, the famous plant breeder in New Zealand, Dr. Keith Hammett, he advised me to, to slow, sow them in winter. So I did that this year. So you, you, you get the plant on a smaller frame to start off with and then the flowers will form because you need certain day length for the sweet peas to form. And a good, with the weather being so great this year, I had sweet peas from October right through to January. Wow. So when are you planting yours? <laughs> So I plant mine in June now. So in, June, in um, gracious me. So <laughs> in, in our South Australia, we're very lucky to have a good environment that we can actually germinate sweet peas that time of year, and they'll grow slowly. But um, once September, October, you'll see that the plants are not, not on a good frame, so it's all it's all about. Matt Coulter, you are such a font or fount of knowledge, whichever you prefer, uh, and we just love having you here. So many questions for you on the text line. We're not going to get to them this morning, but I know that you'll be a regular guest back in the studio in 2024. Another fascinating masterclass. Yes, and uh, just quickly, uh, the botanic gardens, which ones would you go to? Well, all, of them. Uh, Lofty. all of them. Matt Lofty. Matt is my favourite. <laughs> okay. right yeah, I have a soft spot. Go and see some of Matt's work right uh, now uh, at okay. one of our many botanic gardens. Thank you for all of your calls and your wonderful texts this morning. It's been great to have you. Don't forget the new time of Talkback Gardening from 8am until half past nine. John, always a busy weekend for you in the garden, but perfect gardening weather this weekend. Absolutely brilliant. So I think many people will maybe visit the fringe and then maybe retire into their garden. (laughs) And until next week, I'll say good gardening.